0: Resurrection Sunday, thank you for being here with us. We are here to celebrate that Jesus came out of the grave this morning. Can somebody yell, celebrate? Come on, let me hear. That's pathetic. Celebrate! Celebrate! This is a celebration this morning. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus did not come out of the grave, then your faith is futile. So the resurrection is the meaning and the purpose and the event that was the catalyst for our faith. So yes, thank you for being here. In case you're wondering, you can take a seat now. If you're watching online, you're standing at home, you can take a seat now as well. Thank you all so much for celebrating Easter with us here today at New Story Church. My name is Scott Lackey. I'm the lead pastor here at New Story Church. And just welcome, welcome, welcome. I don't know all of you. I don't know where you're from. I don't know what necessarily brought you here. Some of you come every week. Some of you, this is your first time here with us. Wherever it is that you're coming from today, welcome, Welcome, welcome. We want this to be a place where you can come and discover who you are. You can discover who God is. You can ask questions. We can explore and grow in faith together, and we are beyond excited to celebrate on this Resurrection Sunday with you today. This is going to be a celebratory service because we are believing in faith that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. So in case you are wondering, maybe this is your first time in a religious environment for, it's been quite some time, or maybe you walked away from church for a while and now you're back. Wherever it is you find yourself, I want to be very clear about something. We here at New Story Church believe that 2,000 years ago, God came to the earth in the form of a man. His name is Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. We believe that he lived a sinless life. We believe that he was the most brilliant teacher to ever live. We believe that he, uh, that he healed people, that he had a miraculous ministry. And most importantly, we believe that he was crucified beaten, mocked, hung on a cross for each and every one of us, and that three days later he came out of the grave, that he rose from the dead. That's what we believe here. And I know for some of you that might sound a little weird. We believe that a guy came back from the dead 2,000 years ago. To be honest, sometimes it sounds a little strange to me as well. Sometimes I'm walking and I'm thinking about my life and I'm thinking, I believe a guy came back from the dead 2,000 years ago. I guess that's a little strange, right? But we believe that. And here's what I believe. I believe that he's alive, that he has changed my life, And no matter who you are or where you're from, he's created your life with purpose and meaning and intention, and he wants to change your life as well, that he has new life in store for you as well. And so today we're going to pick up in this resurrection story of Jesus coming out of the grave in a book called John. John is one of the four biographies that we have of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was a close follower of Jesus, and he was like, hey, i got to write these things down that I saw him do, because they were pretty crazy and miraculous. And we pick up in John chapter 20 where Jesus, one of Jesus' closest followers, Mary, she goes to the tomb on Sunday morning, and she wants to see, you know, she's gonna perform some religious, ri- religious rituals on his body, and then she gets there, and she sees, oh my goodness, uh, the, the body's gone. He's not here. So she runs back to Jesus' closest followers, and she said, hey, the body's gone. I don't know where they took him. And so Peter and John, they come running to the tomb. They see that his body's gone, and they just kind of leave. But Mary stays She's weeping, and this is where I want us to pick up in John chapter 20. John writes this, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the, the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, rabbi, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father in my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So the title of today's message, if you're taking notes on your phone or, or in a journal, whatever you have with you, the title of today's message is this, The Reality of Resurrection. There's the reality of the resurrection, the event that happened, but I also believe there's the reality of the resurrected life, that when we embrace this reality that there's a new resurrected life that we can have in Christ because of his resurrection, that reality will transform our reality forever. It'll transform our reality like never before. A number of years ago, Chip Heath and Dan Heath, one's a professor at Stanford, the other one's a professor at Duke, they write these really fascinating books together, and they wrote one called The Power of Moments. And in The Power of Moments, they talk about four different types of moments that we as humans experience, and these four types of moments are moments that you look back on, you never forget, and those moments are typically moments that defined your life, and they're moments that that you think of, oh, that that was a defining moment for me, and one of the types of moments that they write about in the book is called Moments of Connection. And moments of connection are when you accomplish something with another person or with a group of people, and you know that when you've made that accomplishment with that person or with that group of people, it has changed your friendship. It has changed your relationship with that group of people forever. Maybe you're on a team that won a championship together. Maybe you went on a missions trip with a group of people. Maybe you did a group work at work or in college, and this time the group actually worked together, and you weren't the one doing all the work, and everybody else was sitting around doing nothing. You know how that is. We're going to do group work. No, we're not I know what that means but any but this time you did group work and you guys were actually able to work together and you accomplished something and because of what you accomplished together your relationship changed drastically moments of connection maybe there was a time where you had a a life-giving conversation with somebody and you connected with them in such a special way you said this person is going to be a lifelong friend or this group of people there I can go through some stuff with them because of what I went through with them moments of connection. One of the greatest examples of moments of connection would be in the, the classic film from 2008 Step Brothers with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. And uh, We shouldn't talk about that in church. It's okay. Anyway, so John, they, they go through a series of questions together when they say, what's your favorite dinosaur? Velociraptor. And then they go through a few other things and they realize that they have everything in common and they look at each other and say, did we just become best friends? And it's this deep moment of connection. Then it has this montage of grown adult men doing stupid things that children should be doing, playing Hall and Oates in the background and you're like, oh, this is really funny and it is really funny and it's okay to laugh at it and they're like, and so they're doing crazy things together. It's a moment of connection, a moment of connection and when you have this moment of connection with another person or with a group of people, you say, wow, my reality has now been changed for the good. It's been changed forever and now the reality around me is changing forever as well. And the reality of resurrection is what we experience here with Mary. Mary comes to look for Jesus. The tomb is empty, and she experiences a resurrected Savior. And as soon as she talked to Jesus in that moment, I'm sure that she knew that my reality, her personal reality, was going to be changed forever. But I bet she also had a glimpse of this, that the reality of human history would now change forever. That the new creation has now burst forth into the space-time reality of our temporary creation that the new life that God's will is now being done on earth as it is in heaven and there's a new reality that is now taking place and that reality of resurrection that Mary experienced in that moment that changed her life forever that changed the course of human history forever I believe Jesus wants you to experience that as well if you're watching online I believe he wants you to experience that as well So I want us to slowly walk through this story and see what it really means for us to experience and to embrace the reality of resurrection. And the first thing is this, is to understand that there's a miracle in the making. There is always a miracle in the making. I know that this past year has been confusing for many of us. This past year has been difficult for many of us. Some for reasons that all of us know about and could talk about some for personal reasons of things that you're going through that you haven't talked to a lot of people about. And it's, and it's easy in those moments of darkness to know that there's light or hope right in front of you, but to miss out on it. I, I've been married to my wife, Kim, my lovely, wonderful, beautiful wife, Kim, for five and a half years now, six years in July. We're almost there, about to make it to six, six good years. But anyways, I've been married to her for quite some time. And when we first got married, we began to realize that we had very different perspectives as to where things should be placed in our household. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. So for me, I believe that if I'm coming home and it's cold outside, and I know that I'm going to go back out again, I should throw my jacket wherever it is most convenient for me to pick up my jacket when I go back outside. Whether that be on a chair or the steps or in the hallway, my jacket should be wherever it is most convenient for me to pick up my jacket because I'm going back outside again. For Kim, she doesn't think in regards to convenience, she thinks in regards to order. That is not orderly, that is not nice, that is neat, that is not nice, that is not clean. Why would you throw your jacket just anywhere? It needs to go in the closet where all of the other jackets go. I do this with my keys all the time. I think that my keys should just go on the kitchen counter on the table. Kim has a cupboard where keys belong. And the, and the keys go in this particular cupboard. And every once in a while my keys will go missing, and I'll say, Kim, where are my keys? And she'll say, Did you check the cupboard? And I'll say, No, because they aren't supposed to be there. They're supposed to be on the counter. But anyways if you know me, I'm in a rush. Whenever I'm going somewhere, I got to get there on time. And so when I can't find my keys, it's very, very frustrating. Frustrating. But we've gotten to the point, whenever I can't find my keys now, I have to be honest, it's no longer Kim's fault. It's my fault. She no longer moves my stuff. I very much appreciate it. It's very kind of her to do. But she no longer moves my stuff. But now I'll go running around, where are my keys, where are my keys, where are my keys? I'll be flipping up couch cushions. I'll be, I will be. don't have kids to blame either. So I can't blame the kids. I can't say the kids moved the keys because I don't have kids yet. So I can't say it was the kids. It's only me. It's only myself or Kim. I know that Kim won't move my stuff anymore because she's so good to me and she loves me so much. So I'm running around the house. Where can my keys be? I can't find them. And I'll flip up couch cushions. I'll be walking all over the house and I'll look at the kitchen counter where I always place my keys. I'll look once. I'll look twice. I'll look three times. Then on the fourth time, it's like a miracle happened. My keys are right there. They're just under another pile of garbage that I've thrown on the counter for the sake of convenience. Every single time. And it's, it, this, is, this is what it's like with understanding this idea of the miracle, is what you're looking for, what you've been searching for, has been right in front of you the entire time. You just have been looking past it. You haven't been seeing it. Oftentimes the miracle, what Christ is calling us to, who he is, is right in front of us. It's right there. But it's so easy for us to walk by and not see it. Mary got into the tomb and she didn't see Jesus at first when she first turned around. Look at this in John 20, verses 13 through 14. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. She's, she's been running. She's been searching She finds herself in the darkness of the tomb. And it's been a long few days for Mary. The the Lord who she loved and followed so closely, she had watched him beaten, mocked, crown of thorns placed on his head, hanging on a cross, screaming out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what she watched her friend, her Lord, her Savior, go through. And she comes running to the tomb, and his body's not there. So any form of memories, any form of, uh, that, that's, who, that's not even there anymore. And I imagine at this point when she gets to the tomb, she's exhausted, she's tired, she's, she's filled with despair. And I wonder if some of us have been in the same place, especially over this past year. You've been running you've been searching, you've been looking, hoping that you will find hope, hoping that light will will show up, hoping that you'll find what you're looking for in the midst of darkness, and finally you get to the tomb, and it's if the darkness has now enslaved you. It's now as if Ah, there's three walls here, and there, yes, there's light out there, but I might, it might just be easier, it might be more comfortable to just stay in the darkness because I'm so tired. Life has beaten me down. And while I don't like the darkness, at least it's predictable. At least I know that what could happen within this space of the cave. And I wonder if some of us, we've been running and scurrying and looking hoping for a miracle, believing that light will come, believing that, that hope will arrive, and we finally just get to the cave, we get to the tomb, and it's like, I've just had enough. I'm tired. But sometimes when you're in that place, instead of looking into the darkness and the abyss of the tomb, we have to make a conscientious decision to turn around and see that the miracle is right in front of us that beyond the tomb outside of that place there is light outside of that place there is hope it is the place of the unknown because you're coming out of that which has been enslaving you but when you step into the light when you call upon the name of jesus you'll find that he's been there the entire time like Mary, amen, yes. Like Mary, you may not recognize it right away. You may not see it right away. You may not understand it right away. But if you embrace the light and see that there's something there in the great beyond, beyond the tomb, there's a, and it's not always comfortable because light exposes and light shows us some things about ourselves. Yeah, you've been hiding. Yeah, you've been running. Yeah, you've been this. But, but light also brings us into the future that God has for us. There is light and life and hope outside of the tomb, And in the darkness of the tomb, you have to believe and have to know that there's still a divine destiny awaiting you. Come on. There's still a divine destiny awaiting you. There's still life in store for you. There is still light. And we have to be willing to say, I don't fully understand it. I don't fully get it. But here's what I know, that he who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. That it is by his name we have hope. It is by his name we have light. It is by his name we have deliverance. And it's uncomfortable. It's unsure. Why are you out here? You were supposed to be in here, but I didn't find what I was looking for. I am going to go in the light and find the divine destiny that the giver of light has in store for me. There's a miracle in the making. The miracle is right in front of you. Don't miss out on it. Don't miss out on it. There's a miracle in the the making. He's always at work. Second thing in the reality of resurrection is to understand that there's a divine remake that is happening. A divine remake. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. You're gonna get some of Scott Lackey's hot takes today. I I'm not a big fan of when they remake movies. When, when Robert Zemeckis came out and said, I will not allow them to remake Back to the Future, I said, Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much. Thank you. I like Michael J. Fox. I don't need to see someone else be Marty McFly. Leave that alone, okay? It's good the way it is. I don't need a remake. I don't need you to ruin that movie for me. I'm not a big fan of remakes. Now I get it. In 2016, Disney did a great job when they remade The Jungle Book because they cast Bill Murray as Baloo the Bear. And whenever you put Bill Murray in a movie, it is instantly gold. It is the best movie ever made because he's the greatest actor to ever live, in my opinion. But it's more than my opinion. It's reality and truth. It's not... (laughs) But anyways, I enjoyed that. Sorry if I, I'm going to spoil anybody's time right now. I did not enjoy the Lion King remake. It was copy and paste to the original. I didn't need to see copy and paste of the cartoon just with animals that weren't real animals that looked like real animals. At least the Jungle Book, they changed the story a little bit. Thank you for the creativity. Lion King, I didn't need to see <gasps> everything the light touches. I heard it once before. I don't need to hear it again. I like the cartoon. <laughs> yeah. That's Scott Lackey Rotten Tomatoes for you. But anyways, <laughs> I'm not always a big fan of remakes. Not a big fan of them. But what happens here in this resurrection story is a divine remake. It's, it's the perfect remake. It's the remake that every single one of us needs so that God can remake our souls, so that he can renew our hearts and our minds. Whenever God does a remake, it's like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes every single time. Boom, 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 boom. Both, both critic score and audience score. It's good stuff. And so what John does here is John sets up his biography of the life of Jesus as a divine remake. Both the book of Genesis, which is the first book in all of the scriptures, it starts with the words, in the beginning. John's biography of the life of Jesus starts with the words, in the beginning. Because John is retelling and remaking the story. And we see this happening now in this resurrection account. Look at what happens in John twenty fifteen. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where they have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, can you go back on that slide real quick? I did this last service too. Sorry. But anyways, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. That is such an important detail. Because God, in the original story, placed Adam in the garden as the gardener. And Adam was supposed to be the true human who walked in relationship with God, in unity with Eve, and they were a true reflection of what it meant to be God's image bearers on earth as it is in heaven. But they chose to sin, they broke that relationship, they broke that opportunity, and Jesus came and lived a sinless life, and through his resurrection, he is the new gardener. Adam as the gardener, was intended to be the cultivator and the caretaker of the creation, and to do that in perfect relationship with God, and he failed to do that. But then Jesus comes along, and he's the new gardener. He's created a new way of life. He has created the way for each and every one of us where he can be the gardener of your soul to cultivate and to care for your soul. And that he leads us into a new life where we are the cultivators and caretakers of the creation around us. To care for other humans and to care for the creation as the whole. Yes, the entire creation groans for restoration. It says that in Romans. And so we are to be the new gardeners. Jesus, where Adam failed to be truly human, Jesus was the perfect human. And he shows us what it means to be truly human on earth as it is in heaven. To bring about the new garden. To bring about new creation. To bring about new life. And so, John is writing a divine remake where humanity can now be restored into their relationship with God and be the caretakers and cultivators of the creation. That's so why Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance. I love that. Paul wrote this entire long letter to the Corinthians, and at the end of it, he said, This is what's most important. I wrote to you this of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Because our sins separated us, our sins separated, the fra- our sins separated and fractured humanity and made us so that we weren't truly human. We had the mark of God on us, but that, that image of God was fractured by sin according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Because of what Christ has done, the image of God is restored in us and we are, be- we are becoming the new creation. We are living in the reality of the new story of the reality of resurrection, to be who Christ has called us and created us to be. That relationship is restored in Christ Jesus. And I love that when Jesus comes to Mary, he says to her, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? That's such, those are two very powerful questions because sometimes I think we have this idea that one day Jesus will wipe away our tears. That one day Jesus will bring us peace. One day in the future he will bring us comfort. And yes, we will have that fullness of life and the life to come. But Jesus is the divine healer now. The Son of God experienced resurrection in this world. So heaven has come to earth. The reality of heaven and earth have intersected. And so he can wipe away your tears now. He can bring healing now. He is the deliverer now. He will bring that to you now. He comes to Mary and says, why are you weeping? Because he wants to take away her tears now. And he wants to do the same for you as well. He says, whom are you seeking? Not because he says, oh, just so you know, one day when you get to the right place, then you'll find everything you need. No, because in this space time where you are living right here, right now, you are searching for hope, searching for peace, searching for hope, searching for fulfillment, and I can give that to you now. John seventeen three, eternal life is that they know me, not someday, Now. We can experience the eternity in this present age right here, right now. To to live in the reality of resurrection is to know that darkness will never overcome the light, but that light always wins the day over darkness. Goodness does not inevitably have to turn into that which is bad, but in fact, we we will win the day in Christ Jesus. We have victory in him. And light is what is inevitable. The hope of life that he offers, that is what is inevitable. There's a divine remake occurring and he wants to remake and renew your soul. Let him do that. And then finally in the reality of resurrection, we find this, that you are called and commissioned. You are called and commissioned. He knows you. He personally knows your name. He knows everything about you and he calls you and commissions you. Commission means he's given you responsibility. It means that he's given you a life. It means he's given you purpose. It means he designed you with intention, and he calls you into a new life. He calls you into a new reality, the reality of resurrection, and we see this happen with Mary in John chapter 20. Look at this. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop Clinging to me, for I not have yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She went boldly and said, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Jesus came to Mary and said, I know who you are, Mary, and I'm calling you and I'm commissioning you. And he says the same thing to you. He knows you personally and he's calling you into the life that he's designed you for. He's commissioning you to live into the reality and responsibility of the life that he has for you. You were not an accident. You were designed on purpose for a purpose by God. And you were commissioned into the responsibility that he's given you. This is the reality of resurrection. And Mary could have had so many excuses she could have so many excuses. When Jesus first encountered Mary, she was possessed by a demon. She was demonically possessed. And he cast that out of her. Mary could have said, Well, you know, my you know, my past is too dark. I was possessed by a demon. And, you know, God could, Jesus could never use someone like me because my past is so dark. I'm so broken. And some of you have carried that weight. You know there are things that you've done that you wish you wouldn't have done. There are things that you've said that you know you wish you shouldn't have you wouldn't have said. There are things that people have done to you that you wish would have never happened. But you're never too broken to be forgiven by him. You're never too broken. You can never outrun his grace. His grace is available to each and every one of us. His forgiveness is available to each and every one of us. And there may times be consequences for our actions, but at the end of the day, he died and he rose for you. For you. For you. For you for you, you can never outrun his grace. And it's not anything we've done, it is by his grace that we are saved. It is by his grace. He conquered death, he conquered the grave so that you could have life. Don't believe the lie, I'm too broken. I've done too much. No, there's redemption in reach for you today in the name of Jesus. Some of you, you've been going through a time in your life and it feels as if you've ran to the tomb And there's there's nothing there. And everybody else has abandoned you. You're alone. You feel isolated. Imagine what Mary felt like. She was weeping at the tomb. I'm sure mostly she was weeping because she thought, is it all over now? But I wonder if she stayed weeping at the tomb because maybe in very deep down inside of her, she wondered, maybe there's hope. Maybe there's something here that I'm not seeing. Maybe there's something here that others aren't seeing. And some of you, the challenge is is for you to be that person. That you continue to stay and know that the light will arrive. That the light and life and hope, those things are inevitable. Even if everybody else has gone away. All of Jesus' closest followers, they were gone. They were hiding. Yet Mary stayed because she knew that light would come. She, I believe in her heart of hearts, knew that something was gonna happen, even through the tears, even through the weeping. And my challenge for some of you today, or my encouragement to you is this, continue to stay. If you see the light and you know the light is coming, it will come. And then finally, some of us, we get bogged down by societal expectations. People say, you think, I'm not qualified. I can't do this. I can't do that. God could never use someone like me because not only am I really broken, but also I just don't have the qualifications. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have the ability to do those things. I, can't, I, just, I just can't make a difference. First of all, God has made every single one of us unique. And so you might have some gifts and abilities that in church growing up, people didn't say, oh, you could use that, but you actually can use that. You can use whatever it is, the vocation that God has put you in to, for his purpose and for his glory, but there might be societal expectations on you where you're saying, I'm just, I just can't. I'm not qualified. Thank God Mary didn't believe that. And I think Jesus knew how to resonate with that because in John 7, 15, all the religious leaders looked at Jesus and said, oh, gee, he's an untrained man, you know. He's not an educated dude. And then Jesus said, oh, watch this. I'm going to come back from the dead. But anyways, here we go. But he's untrained, you know. He's not. But but. Mary, in that time period, a a woman's opinion was not really even respected in court in this time period and in this culture. But Jesus was like, I don't care about what society says. I'm going to use you. I have something for you. Mary, I don't care what other people say about you. I don't care what society says I should or shouldn't do. You know what, Mary? I love you. I'm commissioning you. I'm calling you, and I value you. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you if you've been wondering about your qualifications. Jesus doesn't say to Mary, oh, you know, before you go out, you should probably take this 15-week course. And when you take that 15-week course in discipleship, then after that, you've got to go take a few years of school. And make sure you have the right theology. Because if you don't have the right theology, then you won't be able to. No, he said, Mary, Go. 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 Go tell them. You've seen the resurrected savior. Go and tell them. And he said Jesus didn't say, "Oh, you're a woman. You probably shouldn't do this." No. If you have a problem with women preaching and declaring the gospel, then you have to take John 20 out of your Bible. I'm sorry. You just have to do it. Because she's the first one to declare the gospel. And if you don't have Mary, I don't know how the message is getting out. She was an apostle to the apostles. Jesus would have had to go to the apostles who were hiding. She was the one there waiting, and she went and declared, Jesus is Lord. I have seen the resurrected Savior. And so, you might be saying, I don't know if I have the qualifications, I don't know if I can do this, I can do that. The reality of resurrection is this, is that you are called and you are commissioned. You are called and commissioned. He knows you and he is calling you forward. He personally knows your name. He personally knows everything about you. And he went through this so that you could have life and live in the purpose of the reality that he's called you to. He not only knows your name, he not only knows my name, Scott, but he sees what he's placed within you. He sees a leader within you that he's placed inside of you and he's calling you to be that leader. He sees the power that only he has given you, and he wants you to live in that power. He sees boldness that he's created you in. He sees courage, and he's calling you into that new reality so that you can live out the calling that the creator has placed on your life. Come on. This is what he has for you. He has a new future in store for you, and you are called and commissioned by him. I don't have the qualification, I don't have the qualification, I don't know if I'm qualified, I don't know if I can do this, I didn't go to school, I didn't do this. You know what qualifies you? Resurrection. Resurrection is what qualifies you. The resurrection of Jesus is what qualifies you to live into the new life that he has for you. That's all you need. It's not about anything we've done, it's all about all that he's done, and he's bringing us into the full intention to be the gardeners of the creation, to live in the new reality and the new story, and live out the vocation of humanity that he had in mind. Resurrection is what qualifies you. And the gift of the resurrection, the gift of new life, is available for each and every one of us. For each and every one of you. In fact, that's why we started this church, New Story Church. Second Corinthians 5:17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. You have a new story. And every single one of us, whether you're in person or online, every single one of us, your life is is telling a story. You may not recognize it, but it is. There are people who are watching your life. They may not be taking actual notes, but they're taking mental notes. They're learning from you, they're watching you. Every single one of us, our life is telling a story. And for many of us, there's a disconnect between the story that our life is telling and the story that we want our life to tell. And we've been running to places and finding ourselves in the tomb and not knowing how to fill that gap. Today, I want you to know that you can have a new story. And that new story is the story that you were created to live in. It's the story that God had in mind when he designed you. And by his grace and his forgiveness and his salvation, you can live in that new story today. You can call on his name and live in the new creation that he has for you. And here's the cool thing, when we as a church come together as people who are living in our new story, we as a church, we as a community, get to write a new story in our community and in our city. There is a new story available for you today. All you have to do is to call on the name of Jesus. And for those of you who you've been walking in faith some, for some time, pray about this reality of resurrection today. Maybe things have been a little bit confusing for you lately. Believe that there's a miracle in the making, that that's inevitable. Just call on His name. Know that a divine remake is occurring, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He will renew your heart and your soul and your mind. Let Him continue to remake you and bring about the new birth that He has in store for you. And then recognize every single day. Wake up and say it. I'm called and commissioned. I'm called and commissioned. I'm called and commissioned. Say it every day. He has called you and commissioned you to live out his purpose here on earth as it is in heaven. If you would please bow your heads and join me in this moment in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for the new life that we have in you. I pray, Jesus, that every one of us, including myself, would respond to a yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, with this reality of resurrection. That we would know you to be who you say you are the resurrection and the life. Thank you for giving your life for us in our place so that we could have new life. Everyone heads down and eyes closed. If you're here today or you're watching online and you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. God can hear you. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. It's acknowledging that you're turning from your old ways and embracing the new life that he has for you. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I'm calling you the Lord of my life. Say that to him. If you're online and you prayed that, go to newstorybuffalo.com. Fill out the Get Connected link. We wanna talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. If you're here in person, everyone heads down and eyes closed. No one's looking around except for me. Would you boldly raise your hand if you prayed that prayer today? I just wanna be able to see you and pray for you in this moment. I believe God's doing something supernatural in your heart and he wants to move in your life. So would you just be bold enough to put your hand up so that I can see it? No one else is looking around. I just wanna be able to pray for you. Jesus, I surrender my life to you as I look around. Awesome, awesome. Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in people's lives. We thank you how you're changing each and every one of our hearts. And I pray that we would call upon your name to know that the miracle is right in front of us and that we would live in this reality of resurrection. And everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, if you were able to, would you stand and join us?